Good morning and welcome. Welcome to you all. Glad to see you all here this morning. Um, Let's stand together and worship, and uh, then we'll hear a wonderful message from Pastor Kerry. So go ahead. Why don't you guys say hi to somebody you don't know? Amen. 
Well, the ushers are going to come forward for this morning's tithes and offering as we continue to worship. God, we thank you for all that you've blessed us with. You are amazing and kind. To think about all of the provision that you give to us daily, the very air we breathe, the, the ability to be able to gather together in this place without fear from anyone stopping us, Lord, that we could gather together in your name and worship you, Lord. That's a freedom that we enjoy. We praise you and we thank you for that. We thank you for the daily provisions that you provide for us. And Lord, as we give back to you for your use, these first fruits, the, the tithes, the offerings, Lord, may they be used for your kingdom's purpose and for your honor. Lord, we do pray that you would be with the youth as they finish up their retreat, asking God that the, the messages that have been shared with them would sink into their hearts. We do pray for Debbie and for Marv and for all those that have, have suffered loss. Lord, we look forward to the, the glad reunion when we see them again. But until then, may you be their comfort and strength. Lord, we would ask that today you would have your way with us. We surrender our hearts to you. May you have your way with us as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.
you that your grace and mercy are new each day and that you are good no matter what. Open our hearts, open our ears. Let us hear the message you have for us. Bless Pastor Kerry as he is providing your message today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you find your seat, if you would open up to Acts chapter 10. I want to encourage you all to follow along. We have a number of passages that we're going to take a look at this morning. But I want to start off with a question for you. How would you answer this question? If someone came up to you and asked you this question or made this statement, Jesus only died for certain kinds of people. (laughs) There's a few... But what if someone, I mean, legitimately asked the question, did Jesus only die for certain kinds of people? Would you be able to respond? Would that catch you on your heels? Would you go, uh, I don't know how to answer that. Would you be able to engage with that? And when we think about this, what is the underlying statement? The, un- the underlying question. Does God show favoritism? When we think about that, from a worldview, many people will look at that. The dangerous thing is, many Christians believe that. You might not outwardly say it. Oh, but inwardly, perhaps it's there. Perhaps it's writing inside of your behaviors, your actions and those things. You think about, does God judge people based on their outward appearance? Uh, maybe does God judge people based on their economic status or their sociological bent? Um, sexual preferences. Does God judge based on all of those things on the outward? Does God show favoritism? Does God show this favoritism? When you think about the word favoritism, favoritism means an unfair practice that is demonstrated because you believe that you're better than others. And the answer is, no, God does not show favoritism. In fact, God cannot show favoritism for three reasons. One, favoritism is inconsistent with God's character. It's impossible for God to sin. It's impossible for God to be unfair and treat people unfair based on this judgment. Favoritism is contrary to God's value system as you take a look at who God is. Quite frankly, favoritism is sin. In fact, we read in James 2, 9, says, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The difficulty is the world will try to hang this on God. God shows favoritism. And they say, well, he showed favoritism. How did he show favoritism? Well, he chose Israel as a nation above all the other nations. He chose Noah to save Noah and his family outside of the flood. That's favoritism. Where he, he was a respecter of their persons. The, the, the fact that some people would say, well, God chose favoritism because Jesus only died for the elect. And God chooses some and doesn't choose others. And so within that perspective, people will develop this concept, and it's a false concept, but they'll develop a concept 
that God shows favoritism, that God is partial towards some and will judge them accordingly within this. One of the things that is very difficult for us to understand when we come at this is that God has what's called a divine prerogative. Think about that, divine prerogative. In other words, because He is Creator, He has the ability to be able to make decisions without having to answer to anybody because it is within His divine nature, because He sees everything and He's perfect. And, and His decisions will be perfect and God is not a respecter of persons. The problem is we will take our understanding and we try to put it on God. Why? Because every single person in this room or watching online shows partiality at one point or another. We all do. By our fallen human nature, we will show partiality. We will judge people. Whether we say it or not, whether we like to think it or not, every single human being is judgmental at some level. And it's an area that's within us that, that really hinders the presentation of the gospel. It hinders in, in how we share Jesus with others based off of our presuppositions and our own prejudices. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, He says, Go unto all the world and make disciples of who? All what? Nations. That word nation there is ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic from. The Gospel is meant to go to all ethnics. Ethnos. To all people, regardless of who they are, Qualified or not, whether you think that they are deserving of it or not, within this. And so as we pick up in, in Acts chapter 10, what we see is God taking the gospel and moving it beyond the presuppositions of the Jewish people, particularly Peter and the Jews, who had a strong prejudice against Gentiles. And not really thinking that the Gentiles were worth saving within this. One of the things that we're going to see this morning as we take a look at Acts 10 is that the gospel ministry is spirit-led. And if the Holy Spirit leads you to share the gospel, you've got to go. It is not a, a, a choice. It's a command. It's a commission to be able to go and to do this. And so within this, we're going to see how Peter's perspective gets turned around. Where God has to break down his prejudice and the presupposition against the Gentiles to be able to go out that the Gentiles should be evangelized. Now, in all fairness for Peter, why was Peter prejudiced? Well, he was prejudiced because of generation upon generation and historical standard, and the law said, don't connect with Gentiles. So it was ingrained in Peter to have this certain kind of thinking. And because the gospel was new to Peter and to the people, it was a challenge. There was this tension. How does this new revelation rank with, with generational belief? That's grounded in the law. That's grounded in the Word of God. And so he would wrestle with that. And I dare say that many of us wrestle with the same thing. Historical or generational prejudices, presuppositions, 
Society has created barriers in our own mind that we won't share the gospel with people. And Peter was not fully convinced, quite frankly, that Gentiles were worth saving. In his mind, they were Gentile dogs. They're not worth the gospel. That they, they hold a second-class position within this. And while there are things that are there, there's also the practical challenge. What was the practical challenge? The practical challenge for Peter was this. As a Jew, to go and evangelize the Gentiles, he would have to go and engage with them, which would put him in a position of social sin or legal sin against the Jews. But then also, you got to understand, in Near Eastern culture, when you spent time with people, you would share a meal with them. He would have to eat food that was considered unclean. And so he's wrestling with this. Any of you that come into a condition where you're going, I don't know that I can do that. You've got to ask yourself why. What are you bringing to the gospel that's limiting the gospel itself from being shared? And so these Jewish Christians said, how do we share the gospel with Gentiles? Because it is so against our natural grain that's there. In, in within this. So what did they do? And I'm giving you all this background so that when we attack Acts 10, you'll, you'll kind of feel that tension. So the Jews had developed this, this idea that this is how we're going to evangelize the Gentiles. We're going to go as a Jew, we're going to, a Jewish Christian, we're going to go to these Gentiles. In order for them to become Christians, they first have to become Jewish converts to, to join the Jewish faith. And then from the Jewish Faith as a proselyte, then they, they become a Christian. And so they figured out this is the end around. And God says, nope, there's no end arounds. They can go straight from being a, a heathen Gentile to become a Christian without jumping through your religious hoops. It would be much like saying to somebody, before you can become a Christian, you have to become a member of the church. You've got to become a member of the church, then you can become a Christian. Would you, would you find that acceptable? No. And so we have all of this tension wrapped up in Acts chapter 10 that's here. But my challenge to you is this as we walk through this. Who are you reluctant to share the gospel with? Because I want you this morning to put yourself in the mind of Peter. Who are you reluctant to share the gospel with? Who are the people that you were, that you were saying, nope, I really don't want to go witness. I don't want to share Jesus with these people. Are they people that are not from the United States that are crossing our borders? Are you reluctant to share the gospel with them because of a prejudice? How about those that sleep on the streets? Would you share the gospel with them? How about people that have a different belief system than you? Would you share the gospel with them? How about people that have a different view on politics? Would you share the gospel with them? Or somebody that has body piercings, tattoos? Would you share the gospel with them? Would you share the gospel with someone who is a member of the LGBTQ plus society? Would you share the gospel with them? Would you share the gospel with somebody who is much younger than you? And if you're younger, would you share the gospel with somebody that is much older than you? Now you're saying, Carrie, you're getting pretty personal. 
Well, the reality is this text this morning is going to challenge your presuppositions and your prejudices because God is impartial. And He wants everyone to hear the Gospel so that some might be saved. And if this passage and this message this morning makes you uncomfortable, good. You should be made uncomfortable. Because we need to be challenged in our thinking. The Gospel needs to go out to all people equally. And our personal preferences and prejudices should never be a barrier or roadblock to sharing the Gospel. We should pray and say, Lord Jesus, give me eyes to see people the way you see them. And share that Gospel with them. Because it's our mission to share the Gospel with everybody without partiality. I'm going to ask that you stand. We are not going to read all 48 verses. But we do want to present ourselves in a place of being able to be taught. And out of respect for God's Word, we're going to stand and pray and let God do the teaching. God, we thank You. As your kids that are in this place, we want to learn from you. This passage here in Acts 10 really is the hinge for the gospel going from a strictly Jewish culture to the world. As you break down these barriers for Peter, may you break down our barriers. As you remove the limitations that is in Peter's mind, and you deal with his obstinance against your command, may you do the same for us. Lord, may we be fully surrendered to your word and your work as ministers of the gospel unto all ethnics, people. And may you do that, that work in us, that there would be revival within your church, that we would be passionate about seeing people come to faith. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we start out with verse 1 of chapter 10. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through just the section that we'll cover, and then we'll, we'll unpack it. That's there in Acts 10, 1 through 8, it says this. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all the household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have been have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who was also called Peter. And he stayed with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking with him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier. And of those who were personal attendants, and after he had explained everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. So what do we see here in this, this text? Well, we see a man named Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier, and he was a leader, a centurion, which would be in charge of a hundred men that were part of a Roman cohort. A cohort would be 600 men. And it says of the Italian regime, which basically these would be people that would be here from Italy that would be connected, and they were in this town called Caesarea. Caesarea Maritima, as, as it's announced today, there's Caesarea Philippi that's inland. Caesarea Maritima is on the coast, was a Roman outpost. When you go to Caesarea Maritima, it, it was originally built up by Herod the Great, who was considered the king of, of Israel at the time, the king of Judah. But he built up this outpost 
for the Romans, a place called Strato. And he said, we're going to help this out. So the Romans, who thought that they were elitists, they believed them to be elitists, saw Judah as being this horrible, horrible outpost place. So they wanted to bring a little bit of Rome with them. So what did they do? Well, they built, Herod had built this great palace that was on the, the ocean itself. In fact, his palace overlooked the ocean. You've seen those disappearing pools, right, where you've got a pool and it just kind of goes into the water. Herod's palace was right on the edge of that. He built a thing called a hippodrome, hippo meaning horse. It was where they did the chariot races. It was an oval that is out there. He built an amphitheater for all of the cultural events. In fact, that amphitheater could be flooded and they could have little mini ship battles and all of that. Paul would end up preaching there at one point. And then he also built a temple unto Caesar. And there was a lot of stuff that was going on. So within this, we know that there was this large group of people that were there. According to Josephus, a Jewish historian, there wasn't a full 600 within the cohort that was there, but there was a large number of people. From 86 to 8066, there was a Jewish, or I mean, sorry, a Roman presence in this cohort that is in this. This man, Cornelius, is described as a devout man. Whenever you see a devout man in Scripture, it's always talking about a God-fearer. So he is a Roman soldier who is practicing the faith of Judaism through charity and prayer and giving of alms. What he didn't do, he didn't fully convert over to be a Jewish proselyte, which means he wasn't baptized into Judaism, nor did he go to Jerusalem and offer sacrifice. But he was a God-fearer. So he, he, would, he was a man that was coming to the edge of, of Judaism, but not quite into that. But he really was devout, as was his household. And he had this great practice of, of serving God within this. And so within this, he is praying regularly. And something that is amazing is God responds to the prayers of an unbeliever, this devout man. And he sends an angel. And this angel shows up, and, and I personally have never seen an angel show up. Uh, and, and some people have. I haven't. But I think it's something that would get your attention, wouldn't it? And, and so this angel shows up, and Cornelius was praying, note, at the ninth hour. Why is that noted? Because that was the Jewish call of prayer. It was 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So he was doing his prayers, as was a custom of the Jewish faith. And as he was praying, this angel shows up and meets Cornelius. In fact, gives him this vision and calls him by name. Now, if an angel shows up and calls you by name, are you going to pay attention? Yep, I think so. I think it's worth paying attention. And he says, Cornelius, and he says, yes, Lord. Not Lord Jesus, but like, yes, Lord, you're in charge. One of the things that I think is important is this. There is an implied condition in Cornelius' life. What is that? That his religion and devotion didn't equate to salvation. Cornelius knew that there was still something lacking. He was pursuing God. He was a God-seeker, but never had come to that place of feeling fully connected with God. So he had this, this religion. The other thing that I think is important to understand, in the Roman culture, it's a polytheistic society. Yet he's believing in monotheism. 
meaning one God, the Jewish God. So as he's abandoning his culture and he's pursuing a monotheistic God, Yahweh God, the Jewish God, because that's, that's who he believes is being genuine. And he's right at that threshold. And he's praying and he's doing what he can do, but, it, but all of his religion is just not enough. Do you know people like that? They're seeking God, but they're just right at that threshold and they just can't seem to, to get over that, that point. Why? What was missing? What was missing was the gospel message within this. And so the, the angel stops and he encourages Cornelius and he says, Cornelius, God's heard your prayers. It, it, this is the God. I'm here. But he doesn't tell him the next thing. Other than the fact there's a man named Peter and he's at Simon the Tanner's house. Go send some men. Go get him and bring him back here. But he doesn't say why. doesn't tell him why. Have you ever been pursuing God? God tells you to do the next thing, but you really are not told all of the picture? That's because God's got this sovereign plan. For Cornelius, he needed to hear the gospel in person within this. And with, within this, this was this, this great presence. And what was he doing? He was doing what the Jewish law said. In Leviticus chapter 2, uh, verse 2 and verse 9 and verse 16, all of these sacrifices that Cornelius was doing was according to Jewish law and was going up as a memorial. Hebrews 13:15 says, Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips and give thanks to him. It was all a memorial. So go send these men. Where? Send them down to Joppa. Joppa was 33 miles south of Caesarea Maritima. So they would have to go 33 miles. It's a day and a half journey. So he, he sends out and he goes and sends two servants and then a note, a devout soldier. Now what did we learn about that word devout? It means what? A God-fearer. Which tells us the fact that he says, hey, this is a vision that I'm getting from God. It's a, it, and so, please go. And they go and they go in search. Why? Because he's seeking truth. Do you realize that there are people in this world today that are seeking truth? And they're waiting for someone to come and share that truth with them? And question, who's setting this all up? God. Have you ever had a divine appointment? These are divine appointments. God sets up divine appointments all the time. And so this devout Yahweh worshiper is heard by God on one side. And God says, I hear your prayers and I'm going to bring somebody to you and here's how it's going to work. So God is orchestrating a divine appointment without partiality to bring Peter, a Jew, to a Roman centurion to share the gospel with that because he wants to believe, but he needs somebody to tell him the gospel verbatim. So we come to the next section, verses 9 to 23, how God wants to remove that bigotry for, for Peter. Look at and listen. And I want you to put yourself in the mind of Peter as we read through this. On the next day, as they, they were on their way, approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop, and the sixth hour to pray, which is noontime. But he came, became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet 
coming down, lowering by the four corners to the ground. And there were in all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures on the earth and the birds of the air. A voice came to him and said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I love that verse. (laughs) Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision would have seen might be, Behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was saying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit, note the Holy Spirit, said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoke of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so we invited them in and gave them lodging. So we come to this next section where God's working on Peter. Now, you got to love the beauty of this. Because God on one side is working with an unbeliever to prepare him to hear the gospel. On the other side, God is working on the messenger to prepare him to bring the gospel. And so Peter, as we see here, is receiving a vision from God and it's challenging him. And, And the text says in verses 9 through 12 that while he was there on the next day, as the men were approaching the city, so this would be day two as they're coming, Peter is on the rooftop. Now, in Near Eastern culture, roofs were flat. And so it was like a patio. There would be an outside set of steps, and you go outside, or you can go inside, and you go up on top of the roof, and there would be a, a canopy over, and it was like their patios. And so it was noontime. The big meal of the day in Near Eastern culture is usually early in the morning. They'd have a, a, a good uh, a meal in the morning, and then they would have another one at noon, which would be even bigger. Apparently, Peter had missed his meal because he was hungry. But he's up at noontime, and he's praying, perhaps waiting for that meal to be, to be fixed within this. And so, lots of times they would pray, and, and most Jewish prayers would be at 9, 12, 3, and 6. They, would, they could pray four different times. So, Peter's up there praying. Have you ever been in a place where you've been trying to focus on God, but you've gotten a little distracted? Well, he's a, he's a bit distracted. And, and I don't know if his blood sugar was low. I don't know, you know if he was diabetic. I don't know what the deal was. But whatever was going on, he's, he's praying. And while he's praying, he falls into this trance, this vision. And he receives this vision. Now, it's a weird vision. You've got this like bed sheet with containing, and it's a container, and it's kind of weird, and they're trying to describe it. But inside it are all these animals, both clean and unclean, that are in there. And Peter's watching this come down out of the sky. And the voice says, Peter, kill and eat. Now, the, the fact is, 
there was unclean animals. You can reference this back even to the the times of Noah. This this big grouping, but the Jewish law forbid Jews from eating unclean animals. They could only eat kosher animals, and there is a whole description within that. And it, we can read a little bit about it in Leviticus chapter twenty, verses twenty four to twenty six. And within this, we see, hence I have said to you, you're to possess the land, I myself, and to give to you to possess the land flowing milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. Now, how did they do that? Well, one, you separate yourself from the Gentiles. Two, you separate yourself through circumcision and the foods that you would eat. He says, I am the Lord your God, who separated you from the people. You are therefore to make a distinction between the clean animals and the unclean animals, between the unclean bird and the clean. You shall not make yourself detestable by an animal or bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have prepared for you as unclean. Thus you are to be holy to me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the people of mine. So, question, was Peter wrong in his, in his statement? Not from his Old Testament knowledge. Peter believed the lie, and, and so... In the mind of Peter, he was being asked to do something that he knew, based off of the law, was sin. And he's wrestling with that, because the voice says, go, clean, go kill and eat this unclean thing. And he's like, but the law says not to do that. Now, how do you do that? How do you, how do you wrestle with that? Well, what is he bringing forward, this, this standard? But what is he missing? He's missing the sovereignty of God. Now, it's interesting to me that this is the third time that Peter tells God no. Is it a good practice to tell God no? No. You think about it. In Matthew 16, 23, Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to go die. Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then later, the night before Jesus dies, he goes to wash the feet. And Peter says, and he's, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And now again, he hears the Holy Spirit that says, go kill and eat. He says, no. It is not a good practice to tell God, no. God is sovereign, and it is God's divine prerogative to be able to expand on what he has established. Originally, under the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, Israel was to be a separate nation, separate from all the other nations. They were to remain separate from the Gentiles. They were to eat certain foods and not eat certain foods and circumcision and all that. That was under Old Testament law. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. And he's establishing a new work. And in that new work, we have to be open to the God's direction within that new work. And the new work was first declared in the commission. I want you to go to who? All nations. It's a new work. He's expanding on the work. The law was fulfilled and the judgment was fulfilled. But within this, it's a new work. And the fact is that this vision happens three times. And then it goes away. What does it mean? God's doing a new work. Peter was confused. I don't get it. And then comes a knock at the gate. 
There's men down here. They want to see you. Are these men Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. They're at the gate. Peter, there's three men here. And he invites them in to eat with him. Peter's starting to get it. He invites these Gentiles to come in and then they share this meal within, within them. But he still doesn't know what the mission is. When God is doing a work within you for evangelism, it is not all laid out. God doesn't wake you up in the morning and say, here's your plan for the day and everything that's going to be in it. No. You're living the day and God reveals things throughout the day. And you need to be open to what God is teaching you. And so God is directing and working in Peter so that he'll become that impartial missionary to the Gentiles. Now, Paul's going to take up that role later, but he needs to do that work. So they come and they share with him. And what do they share with him? The whole vision. Cornelius sent us to come to you to get you because you have a message that Cornelius needs to hear. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love that kind of evangelism. I would love for somebody to say, Pastor Kerry, I've got a friend that wants to get saved. Will you please come over to the house and lead him to the Lord? That would be awesome. Why? Because it's clear cut. But life is not always that clear cut, is it? It's not always it has those distinctions. And we need to walk by faith and spirit leading. Note the divine appointments. An angel was sent to Cornelius. The Holy Spirit is speaking to Peter. And God is doing a work of bringing these two together so the gospel can be presented. But first, in order for Peter to understand, the prejudice had to be removed. So we, then we see here in this next section, 23, all the way down to 48. Follow along. It says, And on the next day he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Peter raised him up and said, stand up, I'm just a man. And he talked with him and he entered and he found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who was a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet... God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Highlight that. Because that's the base of prejudice. We are not privileged to call any man unholy or unclean. Peter goes on, verse 29, he says, That's why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason have you sent me? Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me shining in garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He staying at the house of Simon, the tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now, then we are all present before God here to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. 
but in every nation, that's that word ethnos again, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he has sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus, he's Lord of all, you yourselves know the thing which took place out all Judea, starting from Galilee and the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things. And he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he became visible. Not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people solemnly. To testify this is the one who had been appointed by God as judge of the living and dead. Of him... All the prophets bear witness, all through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now, while Peter was still speaking all of these words, note, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues, exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water, for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Now we look at this, this longer narrative. Peter shows up at Cornelius' house to do what? To preach. To whom? Those that want to believe. While Cornelius' envoy was gone... Cornelius had gotten everybody from the household to come to his house. So it would have been a day and a half journey. He gathers everybody. This guy, Peter, is going to come. By faith, he was believing that Peter was going to come. Why? Because the angel had showed up and said, this is what you need to do. You need to gather everybody together. And he gathers everybody together to be able to hear that gospel message within this. Peter had brought with him, interesting enough, three other people, Jewish Christians from Joppa. Why would he bring three people from Joppa? Because according to Deuteronomy, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He was bringing eyewitnesses of, of what was going to happen in Caesarea. So now we have the three that went, and then the three that come back. So there's six people present with Peter. You have the whole household of Cornelius. They have this huge conversation. Cornelius rehearses to Peter, hey, look it. Four days ago, an angel showed up, told me to do this. And what does Peter now realize? This is legitimate. God's doing an amazing work. He has sent me here to share the gospel to this Roman soldier in this Roman outpost full of idols and ungodliness and all of this stuff because this Gentile is wanting to come to faith, to know who God really is. Now I know the statement that God is not one that shows partiality. It is God's design that these would be saved. And it, it was powerful for him to be able to share that 
that message within us and to realize it is God that declares what is holy and clean, not man. This should challenge your presuppositions and your prejudices. When you're driving down the street and you see that homeless person that has got the sign and you look at them, or you see that person with tattoos or body piercings or all of these other things, or if you're a young person, you look at an old person and say, no. Or an older person saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten that younger person up so that they'll accept Jesus. They need to get their life right first. Stop listening to that music or whatever. It is not our job to declare that which is worthy of the gospel. Those that are worthy of the gospel. It is our job to share the gospel. At every opportunity. Because you have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes. You have no idea how God has prepared that person for that moment. And if you're tuned in and listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is based on the fact that Jesus is Lord of all. Not just the people that you think are deserving. He's Lord of all. Now what was the gospel that Peter preached? He preached beginning the earthly ministry of Jesus. God incarnate. The work of Jesus and how He came in His earthly ministry. That is the first thing. He preached the Galilee. And He says, and you know, He started with what they knew. The work of Jesus in Galilee. And they would have known. And He says, and you know, this Jesus of Nazareth died, was killed, and rose again. They would have known of who Jesus was. Remember, he was a Roman soldier. He would have known. The gospel is not complete unless you preach the whole gospel of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God that came to earth and died on the cross and rose again three days later, and that all that put their faith and trust in him will be saved. That is the complete gospel within this. Peter preaches the complete gospel. Why? Because he's preaching peace through Jesus Christ, which is what Cornelius was looking for. Peace with God. When you preach the gospel, you bring the presence of peace. You bring the power of the Holy Spirit into that situation. And that's what Peter did. He brought the gospel into the presence of Cornelius and the whole household who had been prepared by the Old Testament law, to receive the New Testament covenant and promise of Jesus. That is there. And he preached Jesus Christ, Him crucified, resurrected. And these God-seekers and God-fearers became Holy Spirit believers. Filled with the Spirit. Peter and the other three that were with him witnessed something amazing. What did they witness? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the speaking in tongues. Now, I want you to understand that every time God had moved with a new movement of the Holy Spirit, it was manifest in the speaking of tongues. Acts chapter 2, in the Jewish Pentecost, they were speaking in tongues, known languages, so the gospel would be preached to all those people that are there. Acts chapter 8, in the Samaritan Pentecost, 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, the Gentile Pentecost, or the remainder of that. They were all speaking in tongues. There will be another time when Paul will preach to the disciples of John the Baptist. They will also receive the gift of tongues. But be very careful of trying to create an overarching theology that tongues are mandatory at every conversion. They are not. It is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives according to His discernment and what's needed as a witness and testimony. And that was the case here. And the Jewish believers were amazed that these were accepting and being saved and were speaking in tongues. What kind of tongues were they speaking in? They were speaking in tongues that were worship, which we find in 1 Corinthians 14, 2. It says, For one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands but his spirit, and it speaks mysteries, praises that are there. And they were blown away. The other thing that I think is important to understand is this. Not only did they believe and receive forgiveness and salvation manifest by the speaking of tongues, but now that they're saved, what does Peter say? Now that you're saved, now you're going to be baptized. Baptism would follow salvation. And Peter says, now let's make this public declaration. What did Cornelius not do in Judaism? He wasn't baptized as a proselyte, but now he is baptized as a Christian. That is within this. And so Peter calls for water baptism. Did Jesus die only for certain kinds of people? No. Is the gospel only to be made available to certain people that you determine is worthy? No. The gospel should be made available to everyone. That we should bring that gospel to all those that are diligently seeking Him, and you don't know who is diligently seeking God. So then what should you do? Share the gospel with everybody. Because you don't know the backstory. You don't know what God's doing in that life. But when God provides you the opportunity and the direction to go and to share with that person, don't say no. Say yes, Lord. Share the gospel and stand back and watch God do the work and transform their, that life. Because our mission is to show the love of Jesus, to preach Jesus to everybody that would believe. Our job is to share. It's God's job to do the work, transformational work. Are you ready to go share the gospel? Absolutely. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can come before you. We can be confident of this very thing. That Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins. That all those that would put their faith and trust in you will be saved. It's our job to share that message. Holy Spirit, it's your job to transform lives. Our mission is to share Jesus with everyone without partiality. So that they might be saved. That's our role. May we stay in our lane and bring that gospel peace to those that will come. Lord, may we declare what we believe with clarity, so that others would be able to come to the faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all stand we'll close.
God, that's, this is our creed. This is what we believe. Your word is true. And you've given us life through Jesus. Before we go, who in your mind are you moved to share the gospel with now? What prejudices should you confess and surrender? Are you ready to be led by the Spirit? to preach Jesus. May the power of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit guide you in all aspects of your life to share the love of God and peace through Jesus Christ to someone today. Maybe that's you. Maybe today 
you're realizing that like Cornelius you've been afar off and you're here today and you're looking for answers Jesus is your answer trust in him and he'll give you life God we thank you for this morning and the work that you're doing and as we go out today may we preach Jesus and make you smile in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, and praise Jesus. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.